You are listening to Drop Tent Media Network. Uh, my undocumented ass podcast. With Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They got to harass someone else. I get it. I get exactly. it. Like, people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life. Mi gente, tengo buena noticia. Ahora tenemos un nuevo sponsor. Estamos sponsor por Sigo Seguros de Seguro de Auto. Ella es una compañía nueva de Texas, específicamente criada para servir la comunidad latina, hispana, indocumentada. Okay? Ellos no chequean crédito, no chequean educación, no chequean empleo y ellos eh, usan cualquier identificación que tiene de otro país o de otro estado para poder ayudar a ustedes a obtener seguro de auto, ¿ok? So, si quieren chequear más, por favor, vayan a la página de ellos, sigoseguro.com slash myundocumentedass, y si usan el link, pueden, eh, pueden obtener 5% de descuento para su seguro de auto. Hey, welcome to another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. This episode is really special. Usually, uh, I get people from TikTok that I know, but this guest is actually someone who reached out to me via email and was telling me a little bit about their story, so I was very, very excited to get them on, get a fan on the show. His name is Saif Imtaiz. He is a DACA recipient from Bangladesh. We talk about growing up undocumented in Oklahoma and how his life changed after his dad got picked up by ICE when he was 16. Check it out. My guest today, Saif, uh, and I'm going to say this, Imtiaz. Yes, sir. Imtiaz. Thank you so much for uh, for uh, hanging out with me today and talking. I'm real with you. You're the first guest I actually have like no idea who I'm talking to. You, yeah. were, you were kind <laughs> enough to send me an email, be like, hey, I, I listen to your podcast, you know, and... Uh, you, you pointed out something to me that was very important. You go, a lot of people think of DACA and they automatically think Hispanics. They don't think of other people who, who are dealing with the DACA issue. And you are from Bangladesh, Bangladesh, Bangladesh. Yes. So you were like, you know, there's there's other people that have DACA that are not being represented. Uh, I would love to talk about it. And I was like, you know, what? that's a great point. I'm actually wearing my DACA shirt today by uh, Adelita's apparel another uh, past guest. But yeah, tell me a little bit about you and that way we could talk because you sent me some great points, by the way, um, that I want to get to on your email. So this is going to be literally the most professional episode y'all have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. We'll probably drop oh, by every on TikTok. It's gonna be the most professional episode you've ever seen. Oh, look at cat. <laughs> Work from home, man. Work from home. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, we're we're in my office right now, and it just what's how it is. name? It's Jack. We got him about um six months ago. Okay. He's eight years old. Okay. Oh wow, you got like an older cat too. Yeah, my I have a couple of kids. I have a two and a four year old. Okay. My daughter's about to turn three, but we have a puppy, and she wanted a cat, so we ended up getting Jack as well. So That's nice. Oh, man. Like to hang out. <laughs> You're currently a DACA recipient, right? I am. I actually got my DACA card first in September of 2012. Oh, okay. So, that was like, what, just a few months after Obama passed it? Yeah, so Obama passed. They signed the doc, or they signed the paperwork in June, and then I sent in my application in July or August, and I think I was one of, if you look at statistics, I'm like one of the first like two or 3,000 people that got it. Yeah. You know what was shocking about you sent me a great information. I guess we'll start there off the USCIS website of how many mm-hmm. recipients there actually are of DACA. It's mm-hmm. only like six hundred thousand, something nah. like that. 
now, now. because of the at cap. the max was about eight hundred thousand. Okay, and then it just dropped over time. There were people that dropped out of the program, people that became naturalized in some way, shape, or form, and people that just were never or that um, you know did something and they couldn't get it again. So yeah. they yeah. renewed. That's oh, okay. So, yeah, so they start whittling people off for one reason or another until hopefully they can just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe. Who knows? It's, you know, part like I've been thinking about this a lot. I've sent you some info on it, mm -hmm. but like, what are we doing as we have DACA now? And like, so I got my DACA whenever I was 20, what, 20, 2012. So I was 21. Okay. I'd already accrued like three years. Right. I'm always uh, confused on that whole accruing like, you know, time because my, my path was I couldn't get DACA. DACA came after like I already got another status. So oh, okay. that was kind of like so that's why I always like get confused on the accruing time situation. OK, so it doesn't matter if you came in as a minor and the second you turn 18, you're accruing time. Yeah. So for me, I accrued unlawful time from the time I was 18 until the time I got daca in that was that was like three and a half years yeah you have over 180 days it it's, what is it it's either like if you have less than a year and you have unaccrued time then you're gonna end up having like five years of a ban or three years of a ban but if you have over a year mm -hmm. then you have a 10-year ban Oh, and when you got to go home and reapply, that's where the accrued yeah. time. So sometimes people try there. to get waivers to be like, you know, waive that time. So that's I where the just 601 apply. comes in or the 601 in general. Right. So if you have a, if you're like me and you have accrued time, you apply for the 601. Okay. If you can eventually, then you would apply for a 601. So you, that way, that waiver kicks in prior to you having to go back to your home. Okay. Your origin country for an interview. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, got it. yeah. Got so it. it applies for like certain cases and like it's weird. So I've been thinking about this. Like there's no flow charts anywhere. Right. Or like, oh. like from the time you apply to the time you become like a green card recipient or have to do your interview. Like there's so many different rules and so many different waivers for different things that people may have done or may not have done. Yeah. Low charts anywhere to make it anything very simple. Oh, I mean, no, I mean, that's exactly kind of like, I just started working at a, uh, a law firm. I can't say really where I'm working at. Well, it's actually a nonprofit organization because when I say law firm, I don't want people to think that I'm in this like high profile thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I'm learning is from my first two weeks is that, oh my God, every phone call I get is so tailor made to that person specific situation that mm -hmm. it's like it it is it is the bad place it's maddening and i've said this before it isn't when you meet some an immigrant who's in the immigration system you know that's mm -hmm. that one person's story that's one version of the immigration system you know and mm -hmm. i will tell you this and uh oh, man if my boss is here about this i'm gonna get fired but i will tell you this i find it so frustrating when like i get phone calls from white immigrants from like europe that mm -hmm. they are so oblivious to the system that they're like they'll call me and be like um yeah so uh i have status for like 30 years i just never got my green card and now all of a sudden because i want to get a house somebody wants to bother me so how do i get it and i'm just like this service is not for you like do you know what i mean so it's just like it's just like and it's also like you know what i'm trying to say it's also like uh, we've seen a lot with the ukrainian situation that it is all race based 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some countries just have easier pathways and get those waivers a lot easier. And I just the, the deeper I look, the more it's just maddening because of, yeah, simple, the race issue. It, yeah. Like, I feel for everyone. Is a, like, so I'm like 30 now, right? Yeah. It sucks. The race issue sucks, no matter if you're Indian, Asian, African, mm-hmm. European. Like, at the end of the day, like, yes, there will be more statistically people coming from one place or another. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Some people may be like, how do I put this? You know, there's easier paths for some, but at the end of the day, like, if you're having to go through this process, stressful. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. So let's. Like, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you up, but I just wanted yeah. to know, like, because you know, like, for for you coming from Bangladesh, like, how was your what was your journey here? Like, I. So my parents came at separate times. My dad came first, and then I came with my mother later on. Right. Um, it was an overstay as far as I know. And yeah, I figured. Yeah, like, same thing with me. No, yeah, like there's there's very few things that you can do. As yeah. There's you can, you know, get out of whatever. But like my situation sucks. Uh, we're handling that stuff now. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like I came here whenever I was three and a half. I'm 30. So you came like, here three and a half and you had a passport at that age. Yeah, no, same here, because I'm saying you and I, like, that's the thing that, like, it took me a while to realize that the U.S. government denied the renewal of a passport for a kid. Do you know what I mean? Like, for a visa, because, like, that was mine. Like, I had a visa. I came here when I was six. You know, mm-hmm. we overstayed. And then it literally took me a long time for somebody on TikTok to be like, do you understand you came here with documentation and the U.S. government told a kid no? What could you have done that the government would have said no to a kid? Yeah. Like, this is where, like, I hate discussing this kind of stuff because it gets so, like, frustrating on my end, yeah. on everybody's end. Like, and that's one of the reasons why I reached out. It's like, I've never discussed with anyone before. And it was like, I've always been told, now we don't talk about it. But, like, yeah. Like, there's, we're getting denied. And the part that really sucks more than like them telling us no then is being told over and over again or having the hope now of like something happening. So like I mine's <laughs> kind of weird because I like we're talking about like the US government telling us no to not being able to stay here again. Yeah. Right. But were they telling us or were they telling our parents that? Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but like, for me, like, I come from a pretty enmeshed culture where like, whatever happens goes, like, you just go along with it. And like, for us, like, and, and for someone like me coming from a country where you have a lot of people that are hearing things, and this is in like 94, right? Like, you don't have the internet. Back then, you don't have a lot of people like having the resources to understand how everything works, right? Like you just hear stuff like, "Oh, you just go to America." Mm-hmm. That's all. That's the only thing you hear. And the people that go back tell you the same kind of thing, and they just hear from the people that they know. And I think for a lot of 
Eastern or Western hemisphere immigrants that have come to America and that are undocumented, they actually have a lot more access to like what the process is and what is happening or the mindset of a lot because of the politicians or like the feel of America in general, because you have a lot more access to generational immigrants, Hispanic immigrants, Latinx immigrants, you know, like we didn't (laughs) in Bangladesh and we don't in a lot of like Asian countries. Like if you think of access to benefits, so like, so I'm an economist by trade and I say economist, like I'm not a PhD, like PhD economists would be upset that I said that, but like I got, and I have a master's in econ and like, what we always talk about is like, what is your benefit, right? Right. You go to the place with the most benefit, um, humans react to incentives, right? That's a whole thing with like the Nobel prize winner from a while ago. We react to incentives. That's exactly perfect. And I hope we're going the same line here when yeah. people always ask me and I say white people on, on the Internet, why would you leave your home if the U.S. government destroyed it? But why would you come here? Economics. It's the incentive. Like you have a risk analysis that you do of your life and your incentive is do I stay like you had an episode a few a little bit ago where they talked about like size of country and refugee that I was a lawyer and I believe it was the um I think it was the last episode yeah but you're talking about like Mexico's a large country so you have a higher likelihood of being able to hide and like being able to like not need asylum right versus countries where hey like we're a third of the size of Mexico like Honduras any of the Central American countries right your incentive your risk incentive is much higher to move and go and travel right the things that I've been hearing about like I guess for us like we did the, we had the like non-treacherous path of being able to come here yeah based on everything that I've yeah. like understood right kind of feels a little like sometimes uh sort of survivor's guilt because like you and I flew here while everybody has these stories you're kind of like I literally dude like I read about a Bengali guy that went to like South, he went to South America. I think he entered in through like Argentina or something. Okay. And he did a caravan up through and crossed. And I was like, what? Like people are doing this. Like what? Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Ukrainians are doing this. Yeah. Like to come through. So it's like it's it's insane what people do for their incentive. Yeah. Right? Like, and I'm not gonna lie, like I have gotten a lot of incentive from being here. Like I have a good degree. I like have had i'm able to live a life where i am able to provide for my family right now that is all due to like this very flimsy thing called daca for the last like 10 years right yeah i don't know like so you've never had to have DACA. no and and that's the thing too that like you know um i was undocumented like from 18 like fully you know i came here when i was six Mm -hmm. overstayed my visa you know until i was 18 you know they don't bug you like that you know you're kind of like on you know they don't touch Mm -hmm. you and then from 18 to about 24, when I got married, I was completely undocumented. And then the year I got married, like literally three months later, Obama signed DACA into effect. And mm. I got temporary status, but then we got divorced and the, you know, the goalpost got moved again. Mm. Yeah. And now the U.S. government found something about me and they're threatening to take away like my status now. So I'm like, you see, it's always like back and forth and back and forth. So some people think like, oh, well, you have a green card. You're fine. I was like, they, you're not fine until you've passed that finish line. 
because they can always find the reason to take things away from you. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I'm at now. So right now I can't move to the next step. I got to renew mm -hmm. in two years, but I'm afraid that they're going to like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm kind of like, okay. And, and that's the, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the, I don't know. That's the crazy part about it. Cause like, I'm, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I know the history of this country. I know as much as messed up my country. And then that's why it's so, it's almost every day I wake up like heartbroken that I have to be part of this nation that's hurt so much my country. And then I try to be part of it so I won't get deported. It is a maddening world every day yeah man yeah i don't even know where to start yeah i mean i think one of the worst things for anybody to do is like get in to your head and just think more and more about like what the fuck yeah. just went on <laughs> yeah like, the last x amount so like one of the things like Patience is a fucking virtue is what I have had to learn <laughs> in my whole struggle with this. Like we got married, my, like I got married a few years ago and uh, you know, like we were pushed by my family, like apply right away, right away, right away. I'm like, whoa, chill out. I didn't even want guys, we got married, like, or wanted to get married. Like, <laughs> yeah. but like, uh, you know, like you need to like trust your gut and also have some patience. And I think I said that like, you have, so if you have to wait for five more years or renew, you're incentivized, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, you're right back in that panic every few years, which is what yeah. the, the heartbreak of it is. And it's something like you said right here too, like that was uh, in, one, in some of your bullet points on, on the things you want to talk about, is like, it's in, when I read this, I was like, I want to talk about this, trust. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're an immigrant, especially undocumented, like who do you trust? It's man, they're like so part of my story is that my dad actually got deported right after I got married. <laughs> so how, he actually how, how long ago was this? Uh seventeen, in July of seventeen. Oh wow. Yeah. So under so, the Trump administration. Well, he had a final order a long time ago. He had applied for asylum. It didn't go through. And like, you know, in that was in like 05 or so. And then so I was sitting in junior year in Calc and just like waiting for class to be over. And all of a sudden I get pulled out of class by my mom's best friend. And she's like, so immigration just picked up your dad. And I was like, what? <laughs> So we go to her house. My mom's there. Ice, and like, like, like straight up ice. Oh, yeah. Like for a final, for like a removal order that he had from the asylum case. Because he'd gone through all of the appeals back then. So we're, it's 2007, November 2007, November 27th, I think. And get pulled out of class. And it's just like, holy shit, what just happened? We sold the house that we were in, moved into like a tiny apartment. Um, it was me and mom and my then eight-year-old sister. So I have a sister that's eight and a half years younger than I am. So who was born? Wow. So like we moved in like a small apartment and I don't know about like you, my mom was not willing to let any risks happen. <laughs> so like I didn't drive at all. Yeah. And like I did extracurriculars and stuff and like we're in Oklahoma. So like you, you have to drive everywhere. Yeah being able to have like your own transportation sucked 
And like we had like a small business at the time, and like she was running. Your mom was just so afraid of you getting picked up for any reason. Oh man, like she was just like she was the worst. (laughs) (laughs) No. My, my parents were the uh, reactionary bro. Like, oh, man. <laughs> I literally have stand-up jokes about how protective. If you think, if you think, like, yeah, if you think minority parents, like Indian parents or Spanish parents are strict, where do you have an undocumented immigrant parent? They're like, oh, my God, you cannot go outside and breathe because if you breathe too loudly, some cop will look at you and deport you like, dude, okay, I'll stay inside. Oh, dude. It, man, you're like talking about my childhood. So much shit <laughs> there. <laughs> like, oh, you can't stay at your friend's house. You can't do this. Staying with your like, you like, we have a pretty large community of Bengalis here. So yeah. like, people that we know in and Oklahoma? stuff. Like that. In Oklahoma, like people that we grew up at this. Why the hell did a Bengali guy end up in Oklahoma? They knew people. Mm-hmm. It makes no fucking sense, bro. There's like, there's, there's interesting no. minority communities all around the country that I'm like surprised. Like in Ohio, is a giant. Somalian community and I'm just like wow um so there's the largest Arab population in the United States in Michigan yeah uh, I heard about that they have like a Muslim mayor and everything and the, the yeah the, the, oh the yeah like Detroit, and I was like hell yeah Detroit's pretty cool like um that I went and like you know you go to the south and you have signs that are like oh we're closed right now or like the power went out and yeah. we can't do anything but it's in English and in Spanish. Yeah. Well, in Detroit, they had it in English and in Arabic. And I was like, what the fuck? Okay, like, where am I? Right here. There's no official like, language in this country. No. And, like, the coolest thing about that is, like, right before I got married, I'd, like, the year before, I had planned, like, all right, I'm going to go to Chicago by myself and, yeah. like, take, like, a week-long vacation. This is, like, before I knew my wife or anything. And, like, I still went on that vacation by myself. And, like, it was the first time I had, like, walked around as an adult and been like this really is a melting pot yeah like, you walk around you hear so many languages and like you i lived in denver for a little bit yeah. shortly after we got married and like you don't you only hear english most yeah. of the time you only hear english around any of these parts maybe some spanish so like to go somewhere where you truly felt like whoa you're hearing European languages, African languages. Um, you're hearing Arabic. You're hearing Hindi. You're hearing like Chinese. You're hearing Korean. Like it was crazy. Yeah. And like that's just walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no, like, no, I find it a blessing that I grew up in New York City. That's where I moved to because I grew up around so many different cultures and backgrounds and accents. I could almost like tell you tell you where you're from just from your accent. Like, oh, I, I know you're from you know I know from India. I know you're from Korea. I know you're from Japan. I could tell you know. So th- I found that to be a blessing, and that's like you know when I started doing stand up comedy and going around the rest of the country and and going to these small towns that are just nothing but white people who never left. I'm just like, yo, you, first of all, you never left the town. Secondly, you've never met anybody that you're talking about. So that's why you have such such a small idea of who they are. That's when people found out that I was undocumented. I was like. Because you only have this one idea of somebody crossing the border. You have no idea that people come from, like, Bangladesh and the American Republic via plane. And the government op- says, no, you can't stay when you're six. So they don't yeah. know these. And that's what pisses me off. Yeah. Man, like, so that's where that whole, like, one of the bullet points that I put, like, the marketplace of ideas. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but it's the whole, like. I've seen through some of them. So the whole concept of that is, like. How big is your supermarket, yeah. right? Like in your head, mm-hmm. what do you know? What have you been exposed to, right? Are you always shopping at Walmart? Are you always shopping at like, or are you going to natural grocers? Are you yeah. going to that Chinese place down the street, right? Like 
in like and it's called the marketplace of ideas but the whole thing is like you have to have exposure to things to widen that marketplace yeah if you don't have the exposure it's small yeah so if you you're going to these small towns but it's like what is the like what is the diversity ratio there so like as the first person of us like hey we speak english very well we grew up here we're undocumented like we're representatives Mm -hmm. right two people that don't know us and don't know anything about us so we have to be like in a way ourselves to the best degree and i'm not talking about like showing face and like yeah not like putting on a facade like hello i am safe and i would like it's like no like just be yourself be kind like have you found a way to be kinder to yourself with this like sort of split? Because I've I've just recently become a little kinder to myself and saying oh, dude, it's okay if I'm not Dominican, quote unquote. Do you know what I mean? That I'm this sort of like I was at a restaurant because uh, <laughs> uh, I actually got a new job like, at the, the the nonprofit organization and yeah. uh, it's in a Hispanic neighborhood. And I went to grab uh, food at this Dominican restaurant and uh, and the woman goes, are you Dominican? And I go, yeah. And she said in, in Spanish, she goes like, oh, you're mainland Dominican, meaning here. And mm-hmm. I'm and she goes, I'm Dominican, Dominican. And I was like, that's the first time ever. Everybody goes, OK, you're Dominican. But now we understand that you're you're mainland Dominican. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was very much like, thank you. It's the first time somebody ever even included me in the Dominican conversation, but in a different flavor. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've yeah. never been put in a different place. Okay, okay, you're you know you're soda, but you're like tamarind. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're tamarind. Oh man, have you felt that a little bit? Like you're too too much American, not enough. Or am I anything at all of <laughs> yeah. Like that. I mean, so that's another thing. Like, I don't know about how many other kids that grow grew up or have grown up here feel like it, but like. For me, like I can speak Bangla to an elementary school level, but I can't read it. I can't write it. (laughs) I went there. You can communicate with your grandma. She asked you for something. (laughs) Barely school, bro. Like (laughs) barely there anymore. And Bangladesh. But like, (laughs) but like if I like there have to be more people like me that like we are that level of fuck if something happens. Yeah. Like I like. I am educated in America. Like I have, like, I like I can do stuff for you. I can do it all day for you, bro. You got but like, if you need me to read something and sign it in Bangladesh, yeah. I will have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if Google Translate is going to be able to help me understand like where I'm getting screwed in this contract. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, so like, this is where the whole like trust thing comes into. It's like. If you end up having to go back, like who do you trust when you go back there? Who do you yeah. trust while you're here? Yeah. Are you able to have the capacity to do what you need to live in yeah. those countries? And are you prepared to? And like for myself, I'm just like, I might, I don't, I should probably brush up if I ever need to. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw, did you see that uh, the documentary that was nominated called Flea? No, I'm not yet. It's on Hulu. You should really check it out. It, um, But it's something that I didn't, Maybe maybe you can you you might have felt this as somebody who grew up undocumented in in the documentary Flea. This guy, uh, if I'm mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it is from Afghanistan. The Taliban comes in, mm-hmm. he has to escape, and the only country that would let him go is Russia. But then he becomes undocumented in Russia, and that is some abuse that this kid has to go through. So in order to get asylum, finally in Sweden, he has to lie and say that his entire family has been murdered. 
because he he has to make it as even though it it was terrible like the you know uh the afghan government did kill his father the yeah. russian officials were harassing him you know abusing him so mm -hmm. he did have a right to seek asylum but he had to make it so extraordinarily violent in order for them to even see him as human yep and then during the documentary he's talking to the director the guy who this all this happened to and the director <laughs> is his best friend since they were like 14 years old so when the kid mm -hmm. first got to sweden yeah and during the documentary the kid goes yeah so my family is still in russia and the director goes wait a minute your family's still alive you've been telling me that your family died and he was saying no this is what i was saying about i had to lie so much because of my asylum case that i was worried that i even told anybody the truth that they would weaponize it so he he lived this life of like being a pathological liar for survival and it wasn't until he was finally doing the documentary that he was able to almost stop being this liar. You know, and I found that for literally up until four years ago, I was seriously a pathological liar. Because when my family would tell me, no, no, tell people that you weren't born in the Dominican Republic. Tell them you were born in Queens and that your doctor was Dr. Labinowitz. Mm -hmm. You know, they made up this this story of my origin. And I took that and I was like, well, if my family says that I can lie about where I grew up, and I just kept lying and lying and lying until this I didn't is, know what the truth was anymore. Man, like, that's one of those things that I was pointing out, like, there's so much dysfunction that we get embedded into us, like the mental health and how we react to things, what mystery, like, one of the things that I've been really looking at is for myself after, like, but, like, one of, like, we're not aware that we are traumatized no matter what like as these young kids and we like it is a type of trauma that we really need to like work through and one of the things like I'm reading about is like your parents my parents and like what they're going through and like the kind of dysfunction like if you grow up in dysfunction you can lead to dysfunction in your own health mm -hmm. and like dysfunction in yourself mm -hmm. right so like you have to work through that. And like, for me, it's like, I have parents that got married way too young. And like, oh, 19, how old were they? 19? Like, like, bro, like they got married at 19 and 22 and had me at 20 and 23. Oh, wow. Like, and then came to America immediately after. So like, they were just like rushing into shit. They were kids and they never grew up and like rushing into shit. And like, I am the victim of all of this. You are the victim of any of the things that your family It made. is and, like, actually so shocking. <laughs> when you're 30 and your parents are 50 so are mine and it is weird to be like wait a minute they're only like 20 years older than us dude i'm just like i would have an eight-year-old right now i have a four-year-old and yeah. a four-year-old is enough to handle and yeah. a three-year-old are about to be three-year-olds enough to handle what the shit would you be doing with an eight-year-old yeah. <laughs> at my age like yeah. what are you doing what and you like you're worried about stuff and like you have no idea like man they're like we're we need to like just look through and be like okay what are the things that about us that like like it's a this whole thing about like how we're approaching people right like we go to these like you're talking about going to small towns and like we've been othered by that mm -hmm. right but we ourselves feel other to the whole world mm -hmm. in ourselves yeah right like we've had like our parents everyone like we're not ourselves to the government to ourselves yeah like it just feels like we're lost sometimes 
right? Yeah. And like, we have to like, I don't know how to explain this. Like when I got married, my wife's really into like positivity and stuff. And like, I used to think that all positivity was toxic positivity. Yeah, like and stones and, and candles and shit. Like, yeah. Like not even just that, just like <laughs> affirmations for yourself and being like, yeah, I did a good job. Like, yeah. you ever think like, yeah, I did a good job. I, you have the ability to say that to yourself? I am yeah. starting to only because... Okay, this actually has something to do with something. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I saw a great TikTok about mm-hmm. the phrase imposter syndrome. Yeah, and, dude. And how it was actually created by white people to make people of color feel crazy about the way they're, they're made to feel around white spaces, right? So mm. when I would go to predominantly white institutions doing stand-up comedy, these are comedy clubs that are owned by white men. Uh, mm-hmm. cl- staff are white people, so I would always yeah. feel the 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 the, st- the the audience is mostly white. I would always feel like I had to be the best comedian in the world in order for them just to even like me. Meanwhile, a white guy can bomb for twenty minutes and he's invited back next week. Mm. So I thought I had imposter imposter syndrome, you know, being like, oh my god, I'm not good enough. I don't belong here. What am I thinking? And then I started being more around uh, Hispanic spaces. Like my new job is actually in a whole institution that has a school. It has a church that's Hispanic. It has a basketball team that's Hispanic. It has, you know, all these things Hispanic. And while I'm there, every time I speak, people listen and they go, that's a great idea. We should implement something like that because we like that. And I've never felt like I was less than in the institution. So that's why imposter syndrome is actually white people trying to make you feel crazy about their microaggressions that they do at the workspace that makes you feel like, oh God, I'm not good enough, right? So yes, recently I have been starting to say to myself, you are good enough and you are funny enough and you are smart enough because I see white people in these places be mediocre AF and get very far and I go, first of all, I'm better looking than you, Todd, okay? I'm funnier than you, I'm smarter than you. I just don't have the connections you do. So I've had to learn. Yes, I've had to learn. And especially the government keeping me undocumented for so long and being like, you're not a citizen. You're not good enough. Like, first of all, bro, I work during the pandemic. I pay my taxes. I raise my kids very well. And I'm very knowledgeable about this country's history. The parts you want me to know and the parts you don't want me to know. So I've had start. I've had to start talking to myself like that because that imposter syndrome thing that I thought was like, oh, I'm not good enough. That's just white people getting in my head in my sleep. They're inceptioning me. Stop it, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, <laughs> he inception me. One of my dream, he told me I'm not good enough. And that's what happened. <laughs> Shay, bro, I think this is one of those things that I was, like, mentioning, like, in my tabs. Like, how are we approaching people? Like, we want things. And how are we approaching people, man? And, like, how do we take what we grew up with and see that, A, people just don't have the... Like, people just, you, you grew up in New York, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You grew up around a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Oklahoma, in a big town in Oklahoma, in the biggest, like, city in Oklahoma. But, like, there's a lot of small towns here that I passed through for work and stuff. And, like, I can't blame someone for not having exposure. Yeah. Yeah, like, if you're the only so what, like, community of, of Bangladesh, you, know, so, you can't man, teach the whole state. It's not so, your job. I mean, one of the things that you have to understand is, like, Exposure is a huge deal. And there's like economic studies and stuff about it. One of the books that I read is like, it's that I can, um, I'll have to, I'll send a link to it later. But a study that they did was like, how often do people from one side of a town, I think it was Chicago, like 
how often do the impoverished parts of Chicago see like diversity? Yeah. Like different parts of different cities see diversity and a perfectly diverse city and like a score. Oh, exactly yeah, I like, like that. Yeah. Right. But like, it's not a checkerboard in this. It's like, you can go five, six days without seeing somebody of another race. Wow. If you can do that in like small pockets of wow. big cities, like think about what happens when you have huge country. And you have like so many people who don't have access and all they hear is like their radios and the people around them. Like it's an echo chamber. And like, it's our, like I'm saying, like as someone who feels hurt by a lot of different sides, we have to recognize that our past shapes the way that we are and how we're thinking of things. And our exposure to everything has to move us forward in how we approach everyone else because we are all like we're writing our own books we're all our in like our own world right mm -hmm. when i meet someone like i'm exposing them to my world so i work in an i work in the energy industry like it's not a super like it's actually a pretty diverse industry and like i work in a very diverse company i'm not going to say it. like all my views and stuff are my own so like yeah, just yeah. that's what there. i say when i'm into all my views are my own yeah but, like, <laughs> you know like most people would think that I'm around a lot of folks that if they knew about me, they would just be like, oh man, we got to get rid of him. Oh no, oh my God, what's this dude doing? But once you get exposure like to someone and you just speak to them and like just talk about your life and like literally just sit down with someone and have a conversation, like, yeah, yeah, no, it's someone's world, bro. Like, go sit down. Like, fuck it, don't be angry when you're going yeah. to these like places go sit down at the bar and be like hey i'm shay how are you doing where are that's you why i've always used humor like when i do stand up a lot of my stand up deals with like race and that issue and my 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 favorite comment always after the show was like hey man i really like when you talked about being on documents you know i didn't really think about it but laughing and listening to you and you 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 know making it this way really made it feel a lot more real do you know what i mean that's why mm -hmm. like it is it is really frustrating when you see these kind of backlashes of people trying to like stop all kinds of books in schools that have any mention of race or you know other nationalities because you're you're it's it's deliberate first of all to stop the growth of the mind and the information market to be like you know these are windows into other people's lives these are the, and then you know first you know, someone's got to wikipedia it's your responsibility to be able to learn bro i was 16 my dad got deported and i had to go learn about like immigration law and figure that shit out i was 12 when i heard about that shit the first time wow. like i mean dude like at the end of like we have to be resilient yeah. in our minds too and learn shit on our own like we have internet we're not it's not 94 bro no dude it's dude. not 87 it's not 94 it's not the 1970s pick up your phone open up wikipedia read some shit read some shit what, Go to the Oliver episode yeah like <laughs> and like all week like it is our responsibility to learn for ourselves and it's our responsibility to be that point of contact to people so that their echo chamber opens up and you know they're now i, I saw it on reddit but like some library is like hey i'm a banned book reader i read banned books like awesome like people are uh, so yeah that's awesome like we got the internet man just open up the fucking kindle and get a banned book no, doesn't matter if you're banned yeah, like, you know what's funny? Kid, like, if you're a kid, yeah, like, and you're in this echo chamber and you're in a small town, like, mm -hmm. that sucks. But if we're an immigrant and we're going through these towns, like, 
You gotta, there's you some places that maybe yeah you could be and should be afraid you gotta and educate other places where it's like what's up man <laughs> yeah a beer yeah what about i was gonna ask you um just i don't think we have much time how, where are we at justin 35 cool 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 it's probably like 10 more minutes i want to ask you so that was very um go back to your story a little bit that was very traumatic your dad being deported at 16 when you're almost about to finish and go to college like what was that process like how did you wind up even going to college oh so, like to ask people I, so they can get that kind of information okay so i my dad got picked up whenever i was 16 he didn't get deported so he got picked up okay he got taken and was in custody for like six or seven months oh my so god I, that is a fucking long time yeah dude so like in that so this is where i'm just like why are my parents so dumb they like <laughs> sold the house and did a bunch of shit and i'm like you just kept that house i get it we don't know the timing yeah. but like if you don't talk, stop and take a breath yeah like i can tell you right now like all of what I'm about to say wouldn't have happened if I stopped, if I was allowed to stop and breathe and just fucking listen to my gut yeah, yeah. and be on my own. Okay. Cause I had access to the internet. Yeah. If you're a kid and you're undocumented and you're not, you don't know what to do. Get online, find someone, contact someone and read on your own and figure out what you need to understand from a lawyer about your situation. Yeah. Okay. First things first. Second thing, like, he came out in six months. I, for me, I, I'm in Oklahoma In Oklahoma since 2003 in many States, like if you're undocumented, you can go to school still. Yeah. So like I went to OU, oh, I got an yeah. OU, I got a 34 on my ACT and you get scholarships for that kind of shit. I didn't get anything. I had like $1,500 over four years. Oh, wow. Like, I went in and here's, here's the thing. Like this is, the, oh man. So this is, gonna tie in with like the lawyer that i was talking about trust and everything yeah you need to understand your own shit i did not know about accruing time yeah as a 18 year old yeah all right i go in like i was told by our lawyer at the time that hey you're about to turn 18 you need to go to canada as soon as possible or like go somewhere as soon as possible because you'll start accruing time yeah and then the bar well i need to get out by the time i'm 18 okay so not like hey you need to like go to school there so like they were telling me like you just need to go there wow like, go to canada what advice like, i've never heard somebody yeah so like i applied to school for so i actually went into my senior year knowing that i was going to graduate in december and then going to ou in the spring so instead of graduating in the spring in may i was already in like classes wow like i was living in the dorms while my friends were all like finishing out the year and going to prom and stuff in canada no 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 in the oh, u.s in the u.s okay okay i just wanted to show you it's like wait oh, you actually wind up going okay yeah so like during this time like i'm i started school again and like mind you there's nothing in 2009 yeah right there's nothing like other I'm than marriage but that's something that you're and, not and like I'm a like I'm a kid. I'm yeah. Like, that's the, the I, I don't want to say that, but I hate that that that's the first thing you're told. Fuck that. You're yeah. a kid. Take yeah, your time. You're a kid. Like you're a kid. I'm like you're a kid. Take your time. Yeah. Don't do any of that bullshit. Okay. Like, take your time. Especially if you have daughter. Take your time. Like, and don't have kids until you're ready. 
Okay. <laughs> he's not like a real dad right now. Okay, take your time. And if you have DACA, wait yeah, longer. You wait until <laughs> your first one can speak before you have a second one, okay? Mine are 15 months apart. You wait until that first one can conversate with you before you have a second one. Okay. for everyone. Anyway. <laughs> I love my kids, all right? Yeah, me too, me too. I get it, I get it. Trust me. Trust all right. me. But, but, like, look, man, like, so I applied. I got into a school yeah. in Canada, and, like, I applied for a student visa in Canada. And you know what? I was living in the dorms and they told me fucking no. They said, we don't think you would, you won't be able to go back to the US and you don't think you'll go back to like Bangladesh. So like, no. So I had gone in like, I was, I took my first like test for like a college class I was in. I got a really high score. And then like after that letter, like I just like dropped off a fucking cliff, man. And I'm like, Stopped going to class that semester. Oh, I went home over the summer. I lived with my parents in that little apartment. And like I was taking classes at like the commuter college that was close to us so that I could get more credits before I went back to OU in the fall. And like I started my engineering classes in the fall, or like I was started as an engineering major and like I was going to class and like just over time, you're like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like you feel so fucking defeated, man where you're like, I'm going through school, like, I made good grades, I did everything, and, like, I just can't do this right now, and, like, it just, it's, like, that's just how it felt, like, I'm going through school, I'm doing it, and, like, it was just, like, waiting through mud, man, yeah, like, I felt like that for a couple years, and, like, my, like, that semester, actually, got like, a zero G, I failed my classes that semester, and then, like, had to retake all of them, but, you know, I found a major I liked, and then I went and, like, entered into a PhD program at OU for econ, and, like... What did you say? That was the last resort? You were in the email that was, like, your yeah, last resort? I, I went into a PhD program as a last resort, because I was like, well, I might as well get a PhD if I'm going to have nothing. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, thing happens, we got this. Like, I was working, yeah, yeah. like, at a table, open, like, my parents and their store and like you know having a gas station job every once in a while like I you know just helping family out and like it like working in a graduate program and all of a sudden like right as I was starting like DACA came out and I was like holy shit I don't have to do this I'm gonna get out with masters and like go get a job that's right because you were staying in school just because you couldn't find well, you I couldn't get it. Wow. See, see, that's oh my god. People don't realize how much when you just get that status, how much we do with it. How oh, far dude. we fucking run with it, man. When I got when I got my my status, you know, I was finally able to do comedy and travel around the country and and actually like that. Actually, it wasn't until like nine years in that people were like, "Oh, you finally got your first TV appearance." I'm like, "That's because I could finally go on TV." Do you know what I mean? Like, I actually had to, like hide and not be as successful as I could be because I was too afraid that I was going to get asked for paper at some point in success, you know? Mm-hmm. So how much we limit ourselves, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, man. And have, we have to, sorry, to, to do, we have to wrap up, uh, but before we do, is there, um, first of all, thank you so much for talking to me and telling me about the kind of stuff in your life. It's, it's been a real honor to talk to you about everything. Is there any um organization or any work that you're doing right now that you want or any, uh, Anything that you're like passionate about that you want to like share with people before we go? Um, I don't really have one right now, other than you know, 
right now I'm really focusing on my own mental health and figuring out mm-hmm. how I want to reach out. Yeah. And that was my first step of like just wanting to talk and expose myself. Yeah. In a way, um, to people. So like, you know, hit me up through Shay if any of this resonates, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I will definitely put your information on it. Do you have any uh Instagram or anything that people can follow you on? No, I got rid of all of my social media. Okay. Uh, this guy like, went this guy went full on duck. He's like, I'm oh, on like, the ground. No, no, no. I just deleted everything. I'm I'm addicted to my phone. Like I was on everything. I'm still yeah. like you can find me on LinkedIn. Um <laughs> Come at me with business, baby. Cool, bro. Yeah. Follow him on LinkedIn. Like, yeah, but like, you know, uh, like I do data stuff. Um, if you want to talk about like just work, how you feel. Um, if you're a young person that's listening to this, like just reach out to me and like we can chat and talk about like what you want to do. And like Shay, I think you're doing school, right? Like yeah, done in three days, that. baby. Done in three days. And that's the thing too. Like that's actually a good thing that you're reaching out to, because a lot of a lot of and it was nice for you to reach out to me, you know, so we could talk about like your your past and your history. Because a lot of uh, a lot of young undocumented people are scared and they don't know who to talk to. And then you know sometimes you know what's really tough, and I found this and you found this too. You know, it is with parents who might not be technologically savvy and might not have all the answers. Then you feel frustrated because like, well, if I can't go to my parents, who can I go to? You should try and find people, reach out, you know, and find a community. Dude, thank you so much for talking to me today. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, stay in touch with me online and through everything. And and if we ever do a live event out in Oklahoma, man, we, we, we'd love to, to see you out there. Yeah. I'll hit you up if I ever hit up New York, all right? Absolutely do, man. Thank you so much. All right? You got to have a good rest of your day, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Peace out. Mi gente, tengo buena noticia. Ahora tenemos un nuevo sponsor. Estamos sponsor por Sigo Seguros de Seguro de Auto. Es una compañía nueva de Texas específicamente criada para servir la comunidad latina, hispana, indocumentada. Okay? Ellos no chequean crédito, no chequean educación, no chequean empleo y ellos eh, usan cualquier identificación que tiene de otro país o de otro estado para poder ayudar a ustedes a obtener seguro de auto. Okay? So, si quieren chequear más, por favor, vayan a la página de ellos, sigoseguro.com slash myundocumentedass, y si usan el link, pueden, eh, pueden obtener 5% de descuento para su seguro de auto. This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.